graveyard rats. Old Mason, the caretaker of one of Salem's oldest and most neglected cemeteries, had feud with the rats. Generations ago, they came up from the wolves and settled in the, in the graveyard. Colony were normally large rats. When Mason had taken charge of the inexplicable disappearance of the former caretaker, he decided they must go. First, he set traps for them and put poison food by their burrows, and later he tried to shoot them, but did no good. The rats stayed multiplying and overrunning in the graveyard of the veritas hordes. They were large, even for the Mucusa decoricus, which sometimes measures 15 inches in length, exclusive of the naked pink and grey tail. Mason had caught glimpses, some as large as good-sized cats. When once or twice the grave diggers had uncovered their burrows, their meadow-dolorous tunnels were large enough to enable man to crawl into them on his hands and knees. The ships had, had gone, come generations ago from distant ports. The rotting Salem wolves had brought strange cargoes. Mason wonders sometimes at the extraordinary size of the bar- those barrows. He remains certain vaguely disturbing legends he'd heard since coming to the ancient witch haunted Salem. Tales of Mulgorim, in human life, that said to exist in forgotten burrows in the earth, the old days when Cotton Mayfair had hunted down the evil cults and worshipped Halakat and the dark Managermata in frightful orgies, had passed but dark gabled houses, still leaned perilously towards each other, over narrow cobbled streets of blasphemous secrets and mysteries were said to be hidden as some training cellars and cabins, where forgotten pagan rites were still celebrating the defiance of the law and sanity. Wagging their grey heads wisely, the elders declared there were worse things than rats and maggots crawling in an unhallowed earth of the ancient cemeteries. Then, too, there was this curious dread of rats. Mason disliked and respected the ferocious little rodents, for he knew the danger that lurked in their flashing, needle-sharp fangs. But he could not understand the inexplicable horror which the ulcers held for the deserted, rat-infested houses. He had heard vague rumours of ghoulish beings that dwelt far underground and that had the power of commanding the rats, Marching them like horrible armies. Rats, old men, whispered, were messages between this world and the grim and ancient cabins far below Salem. Bodies had been stolen from graves for nocturnal, nocturnal subterranean feasts, they said, and miffed the Pied Pipers of Fable, hides of blasphemous horror, black pits of Avernos, had brought forth hell's full monstrosities and never venture into light of day. Mason paid little attention to these tales. He did not fraternise with his neighbours. In fact, did did all he could to hide the existence of rats from intruders' investigation. He realised would undoubtedly mean of opening of many graves. While some ignored empty coffins could be attributed to the activities of rats, Mason would, might find it difficult to explain the mutilated bodies that lay in some of the coffins. Purest gold is used as filling teeth. 
This gold was not removed when a man is buried. Clothing, of course, is a matter of matter. But usually the caretaker undertaker provides a plain broadcloth suit that is cheap and easily recognisable. But gold is another matter. Sometimes, too, there are medical students and less reputable doctors who need the cadavers and not over-scrupulous as where they were obtained. So far, Mason has successfully managed to discourage investigation. He fiercely denied the existence of the rats, even though they sometimes robbed him of his prey. Mason did not care what happened to the bodies after he performed his gruesome thefts. The rats eventually dragged away the whole cadaver. Through the iron hole, they gnawed in the coffin. Beside his burrows, a cagey worried Mason. Then, too, there was a curious circumstances. The coffin's always been gnawed open at the end, never at the side or top. It's almost as though the rats were working under direction some impossibly intelligent leader. Now he stood at an open grave and threw a last sprinkle of wet earth on a heap beside the pit. It's raining a slow, cold drizzle that for weeks had been descending from soggy black clouds. The graveyard was slough yellow sucking, sucking mud from which the rain-washed tombstone stood up in regular platoons. The rats had retreated to the barrows and Mason had not seen one for days, but his gaunt unshaven face was set in frowning lines. The coffin which he was standing on what was standing was a wooden one. A body had been buried several days earlier, but Mason had not dared to dis- deter it before. Whether did a dead man been coming to the grave at intervals, even in drenching rain, they could have hardly come it he could wouldn't hardly come at this late hour, no matter how much grief he might be suffering. Mason thought, grinning wildly, he straightened and laid the shovel aside. From the hill on which the ancient graveyard lay, he could see the lights of Sailor flicking dimly through the downpour. He threw a drew a flashlight from his pocket. He would need light now, taking up the spade, he bent and examined the fastenings of the coffin. Abruptly he stiffened beneath his feet. He sensed an unquiet stirring, scratching, as though something was moving within the coffin. For a moment a pang of superstitious fear shot from Mason. Then rage replaced it. He realised the significance of the sound. The rats had stalled him again. A proximum of anger. Mason wrenched at the fastening of the coffin. He got the sharp edge of the shovel under the lid and pried it open until he, found he, could, until he could finish the job his hands and he sent the flashlight cold beam darting down to the coffin. Rain spattered against the white satin lining. The coffin was empty. Mason saw a flicker of movement at the head of the case and darted the light in that direction. The end of the sarcophagus had been gnawed through. Gaving hole led into the darkness. A dark shoe limp and dragging was disappearing. Mason watched abruptly. He realised that the rats stalled him by only a few minutes. He held on his knees, fell on his knees, hands and knees, and made a hasty clap, clutch at the shoe. The flashlight incontinently fell into the coffin and went out. The shoe was tugged from his grasp. He heard a sharp, incited squealing. Then he had the flashlight again and the dart was darting its light into the burrow. Is a large one. It had to be, or the corpse would have not been dragged along it. 
May you soon wonder that size of rats would carry away a man's body. But you thought for the loaded revolver and these pocket fortified him. Probably if the corpse had been an ordinary one, Mason would have left the rats with their spoils wherever the ventures in the narrow burrow. But remember the specially fine set of trufflings he reserved as well as Stingpin for his undoubtedly genuine pearls. It scarcely paused, he clicked the flashlight at his belt and crept into the burrow. It was a tight fit, but he managed to squeeze himself along ahead of him. The flashlights glowed. He could see the shoes dragging along the wet earth at the bottom of the tunnel. He crept along the tomorrows as rapidly as he could, occasionally being barely able to squeeze his lean body through the narrow walls. The air was overpowering with its rusty stench of calorone. He could not reach the corpse in a minute. minute. Mason decided he would turn back, but he did fears were beginning to call. Maggots like within his mind, but greed urged him on. He called forward several times, passing the mouth of the journey tunnels. The walls of the barrow were damp and slimy. There were twice lumps of dirt dropped behind him. Second time he pulled and screwed his head around to look back. He could see nothing, of course, until he had unhooked the flashlight from his belt and reversed it. Several clods lay on the ground behind him. A danger position suddenly became real and terrifying. The thoughts of the cave-in making his pulse race decided to abandon the pursuit, even though he had now almost overtaken the corpse and the invisible things that pulled it. But when he had overlooked one thing, the barrow was too narrow to allow him to turn. Panic touched him briefly, but he remembered a side tunnel he had just passed and backed awkwardly along the tunnel until he came to it. He thrust his leg into it, backing until he found himself able to turn, and he hardly began to retrace his way, although his knees were bruised and painful. Agonising pain shot through his leg. He felt sharp teeth sink into his flesh. He kicked out frankly. Frankly, there was a shrill squeaking and scurried many feet. Flashing the light behind him, Mason caught his breath in a sob of fear. He saw a dozen great giant rats watching him intently with slitted eyes, glittering in the light. They were great, giant, they were giant, misshapen things as large as cats. Behind him, he caught a glimpse of a dark shadow shape, and it stirred and moved swiftly aside into the shadow. He shuddered at the unbelievable size of the thing. I liked to tell them for a moment. But they were edging closer, their teeth stiff full dull orange in the pale light. Mason tugged at his pistol, managed to scrape its screech it from his pocket and aimed it carefully. In his awkward position, he tried to press his feet into the soggy sides of the burrow so he could not that he should not evidently so that he should not evidently send a bullet into one of them. A volume of thunder shot deafened him for a time and clouds of smokes set him coughing. When he could hear again, the smoke had cleared. He saw that the rats had gone. He put the pistol back and began to creep swiftly along the tunnel. Then there was a scurry, a rush. They were upon him again. He swarmed over his leg, biting and squealing insanely. Mason shrieked horribly, horribly as he snatched for his gun. He fired without aiming. Only luck saved him from blowing a foot off. This time the rats did not retreat so far, but Mason was crawling as swiftly as he could 
along the burrow, ready to fire again as the first sound of another attack. There was a patter of feet. He sent the lights stabbing behind him. A giant, a giant grey rat paused and watched him. His long, ragged whiskers twitched. His scuberous naked tail was moving slowly from side to side. Mason shouted and a rat retreated. He called on, pausing briefly, a back gap in a side tunnel of his elbow, and he made out a shapeless huddle on the damp clay of a few yards ahead. For a second, he thought it was a mass of earth that had dislodged from the roof. Then he recognised it as a human body. It was a brown and shivered mummy with a dreadful, unbelievably shock. Mason realised it was mo- that it was moving. It was crawling towards him. A pale glow of flashlight. The man saw frightful goggles face thrust into his own. It was a passionless, death's head skull with a long dead corpse instinct with hellish life, and glazed eyes swollen, both for us betrayed a fiend's blindness. It made a faint groaning sound as it crawled towards Mason, st- stretching its ragged and graduated lips in the grin of dreadful hunger. Mason was frozen with abysmal fear and loathing. Just before the horror touched him, Mason flung himself frantically into the barrow at, at his side. He heard a scrambling noise at his heels. A thing groaned dully as it came after him. Mason, clutching over his sh- glancing over his shoulder, screamed, propelled himself desperately through the narrow burrow. He called along awkwardly, smart stones cutting in his hands and knees, dirt showered showed into his knees, eyes. He dared not pause, even for a moment. He scrambled on, grasping, cursing, praying hysterically. Squealing triumphantly, the rats came to him, horrible hunger in their eyes. Mason almost succumbed to vicious teeth, for he succeeded in beating them off. The passage was narrowing. A frenzy of terror, he kicked out, screamed, and fired all the ha- fired into the hammers, clicked on the empty shelves. But he had driven them off. He found himself crawling under a great stone, embedded in the roof, and dug crawling into his back. That dug crawling, crawling into his back. He moved a little of his weight, stuck, struck it. The idea flashed into Mason's fright crazed mind. He would bring it down on the stone so that it would block the tunnel. The earth was wet and soggy for the rains. He hunched himself half upright and dug away at the dirt around the stone. Rats were coming closer. He saw the air eyes glowing a reflection of flashlight beams. Still he called frantically at the earth. The stone was giving. He tugged at it. It rocked. It rocked its, in, in its foundation. A rat was approaching. The monster he had already glimpsed, grey and leprous and hideous, it crept forward with its orange teeth bared. Its wake came the blowing, dead thing, groaning as it crawled. Mason gave a last frantic touch. The stone, he felt it slide downwards. Downwards, he went scrambling along the tunnel. Behind him, the stone crashed down, heard a sudden frightful shriek of agony. Clods showed over his, upon his leg. On his legs, a heavy weight fell on his feet. He dragged them free with difficulty. The entire tunnel was collapsing. Grasping in fear, Mason threw himself towards forward as the soggy earth collapsed at his heels. The tunnel narrowed until he felt 
could barely use his hands and legs. Pale himself, he wriggled forward like an eel. Suddenly he felt satin tearing beneath his clawing fingers. His head crashed against something that barred his, path, barred his path. He moved his legs, discovering they were not pinned under the collapsed earth. He was lying flat on his stomach. When he tried to raise himself, he found the roof was only a few inches from his back. Panic shot through, his, through him. When the blind horror had blocked, when the blind horror had blocked, had blocked his path, he had flung himself desperately into a side tunnel. A tunnel had, not, had no outlet. He was in a coffin, an empty coffin, which he had crept through the hole. The rats had gnawed in its end. Tried to turn his back, but found he could not. The edge of the coffin pinned him down. It sprawled a lead. Then he braced himself and strained at the coffin lid. It was immovable. Even if he could escape from the sarcophagus, how could he claw his way through five feet hard packed earth? He found himself grasping the dreadful fluid, fluid fronted, but unbelievably hot in a paroxysm of terror. He ripped and looked clawed at the Saturn to its shredded. He made a fertile attempt to dig with his feet at the earth to a collapsed barrow that blocked his retreat. If he were only able to reverse his position, he might be able to claw his way through to air, air. White hot agony lanced through his breast, throbbed his eyeballs. His head seemed to be swelling, growing larger and larger. Suddenly he heard his student squealing, squealing of rats. He began to scream insanely, could not drown out the out. For a moment he thrashed about hysterically, but in his narrow prison, when he was, then he was quiet, grasping for air. His eyelids closed, his blackened tongue protruded. He sank down to the darkness of death, with the mare squealing the rats, dining in his ears.